good morning, folks. Good morning. And welcome to Worship at Belhelvey today. Uh, special welcome if you're uh, with us for the first time in a wee while. It's great to, to see you along today. Um, for the sake of those of you who are uh, just newly back, uh, just a few wee pointers for things that you need to know. Uh, hopefully we're e edging towards the end of uh, this horrible pandemic. But in the meantime, we just do need to still take a few wee precautions. Um, in front of you, there should be a ticket on your pew, and you just need to flip that over, and that lets the people who are cleaning the church know that the pew's been sat in this morning. Uh, when it comes to the end of the service, we'll leave by this door. The collection plate is just behind me, and we need uh, to wear masks to sing for now. Uh, hopefully that's not going to be too much longer. Um, brilliant that we've got some of the young people with us again today. It's great to see our children. We're starting Sunday school again. The aim is just to start it and build it up, hopefully slowly over time. Uh, but we're going to be meeting on the first Sunday of each month for Sunday school. And on the third Sunday of each month, Kirk Session has decided we're going to have a trial of something new. We're going to meet in the Forsyth Hall uh, on the third Sunday of the month. So it'll be warmer. Um, but as well as that, we're going to be sitting around tables. It's going to be a much more informal uh, atmosphere. Uh, we'll have kind of different music. It'll be um, just a, a quite different feel to the service. And those are going to be all age uh, worship services. So kids, families are more than welcome. In fact, really, we're, we're doing this for you. So we would love to see as many of the kind of the young, the young families involved with the congregation along at those services. And that should be the third Sunday of each month. I think there's one that's a wee bit staggered, but uh, we'll let you know about that nearer the time. So first Sunday, Sunday school, third Sunday, all age over in the hall. Uh, so please pass that message around and I'll make sure that gets out to people through the magazine, through social media and through uh, email. So just for today, those of you who brought Weemans along, great to see you. Um, hope you managed to get your sledges and your reindeer parked outside okay. Um, what we're going to do from now on is a wee bit different. We used to start in the, sun, in, the, in the hall, but we're going to have the kids in for the first part of the service. And then we're going to, at the appropriate time, if you would take your child out across to the hall, kind of sign in and register, and then grown-ups, you make your way back to the hall, and then you can pick the kid, or sorry, back to the church, and then you can pick the kids up in the hall uh, after we've finished worship. So for today, we'd like the adults to take their children across, sign them in, and then come back to the church. You get access through the front doors of the church. Uh, I'll make sure that that door's left open for you so that you can sneak in at the back and you don't have to be walking in facing everybody when you come in this door. Okay, so you can come in the main entrance and hopefully if I've timed it right, you'll be coming in in the middle of a hymn. So don't feel embarrassed about that. Um, there are teas today afterwards in the hall. It's great to be um, having hospitality again after the service. So please stay for a tea if you're able to. And then lastly, I just want to remind Kirk Session that we have a Zoom meeting uh, this Wednesday and I'll send out the details to your email early in the week. So Wednesday, 7.30 on Zoom for Kirk's session. So that's all I need to be uh, telling you just now. So we're going to begin our worship in the words of hymn 171, Take Up the Song. Let's worship God together.
Let's come before God in prayer now. Let us pray. Eternal God, beyond the fabric of time and the confines of space, your view of everything is so different to ours. You see the bigger picture, while so often we are caught up in what is happening here and now. In the cold of winter, we forget what it feels like to be warm. In the grip of need, we forget what it's like to have plenty. When we're ill or sad or lonely, being well or glad or confident of being loved can seem like an impossible dream. And that's how it was for the fishermen of Galilee, for the farmers, the tax collectors, the lepers, the women of the night, when you burst into the world in Jesus of Nazareth. Someone whose calmness and assurance, whose deep understanding of people and whose absolute trust in you, once seen, could never be forgotten. Loving God, come close to us now, we pray, as you did to those people so much like us long ago. Give us whatever it is we need to keep going or to stop and try something new. Give us permission to rest if we're tired or an energy boost if we've grown lethargic. Forgive us if we've failed you or other people and just as importantly, help us to forgive ourselves. Give us a job worth doing in the service of your kingdom and the confidence to believe that we are up to the task. When things go well for us, may we be rightly proud while never forgetting to give you thanks. And when they go badly, when everything is crumbling around us in faith at a low ebb, Remind us of the one whose best efforts took him to a cross and whose invitation to join him there has not changed in 2,000 years and more. So loving God, this morning we bring our empty nets and ask you to fill them. We bring our tiredness and discouragement and ask you to fill us with energy and hope. We bring the skills that we have and we ask you to teach us new ways of using them. We bring such vision as we have of your kingdom and ask you to enlarge it. We bring ourselves as we are. And we ask you to use us as you can in the service of that kingdom, of joy and of peace. For we ask all these things in Christ's name, praying together in the words that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power of 
Now, boys and girls, I'm going to have a wee story with you, and I would like you to come out to the front if you would. If you want to come and maybe and sit along the front queue, that would be great, and then I can speak to you all together. That's good. Good to see you. Right. So we're going to start with a wee, what would you call it, a wee puzzle, a wee test, right? I am thinking of a particular kind of place. So for instance, it might be a forest. It's not, but it could be. That's the kind of thing I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about a particular kind of place. And I'm going to give you 10 guesses to see if you can guess what it is, all right? You can ask me a question, but I'm only allowed to say yes or no in response to your question. Okay, you understand? Grown-ups, you might need to help with this, all right? So I'm thinking of a particular kind of place. I wonder if you can guess what the kind of place is. So who'd like to ask me a question to see if you can work out what kind of place it is? Any question at all? Carol? The jungle? Is it the jungle? It is not the jungle, but that's a very good guess. That's one guess. Right, okay. Lena? Does it have trees? Does it have trees? Some of them could have trees, but I think most of them probably may not have trees. That's a lot more than yes and no, isn't it? <laughs> I think I'm going to have to give you some clues. Andy? Is it outside? It is outside. Good question. Yes? It's not a field, but you're thinking along the right lines. It's not a field, so four questions gone, six to go. Any other questions? Andy? Is it a forest? It's not a forest. Emily's got one. Yep. It's not a mountain, but that's a good guess. Only four more guesses, folks. I may have to start giving you some clues. Lena? Is it the ocean? It's not the ocean, but you're getting very close. It's a beach. Well done. Big round of applause for Emily. Well done. Were you going to say that, Carl? Oh, very good. Yes. It's the beach. Thinking about the beach. Because today's story takes place on a beach. So I want you, in your imaginations, right? We're going to use our magic fingers to go with our imag imaginations to this beach. Are you ready? Right. We're at the beach. What do you smell? Carl. The seaweed. The seaweed. Yes, it can be a bit stinky sometimes, can't it? Emily, what do you smell? The sand. Yeah. What do you smell? The sea. The sea. Yeah, you smell the sea. So lots of good smells, lots of sea smells. Maybe even some fishy smells, right? Okay. So there's the, what do you smell? What do you see when you're at the beach? Carl. Crabs, fishes. Crabs, fishes. Yes. And possibly some dead lobsters too. You could see all of those things. Andy? The sea. The sea! That'd be one thing. You could see the sun sparkling in the water. Emily? Uh, you, can see rocks. you can see rocks, yes. You could see rocks. You might see sand. That's good, yeah. And what might you hear at the sea, at the, sea, at the beach? Carl? The rain crashing on the seagulls. The rain on the seagulls. This boy's a poet. <laughs> Poet, lovely, yeah, so you might see the rain, you might see the sunshine, yeah. Uh -huh. Well, if we think about what we hear, so you hear rain, maybe. What else would you hear? Yes, Andy. Seagulls. You could hear seagulls, correct, that's right. You could hear the birds squawking, Emily. Because you can hear the waves flashing on the sand. 
you can hear the waves crashing, the sound, all these amazing, you might hear the wind, that's right. So it's a very wonderful, beautiful place, a beach, touching all of our senses, isn't it? But this beach that you're on, because you're all on the beach now, I hope you've not forgotten that, you're on the beach, and you hear some voices in the distance, okay? And you look around, and there's a big crowd of people down the beach. Should we go and see them? Yeah, yeah okay, right, come on, walk with me. Okay, let's walk with me. We'll shuffle along the front queue. Right. Okay, so there's all these people, and they're gathered around this one guy, and he's talking. And as he's talking, they're kind of laughing and they're listening. And the guy in the middle of all of this is, is Jesus. So he's there telling them stories. But there's a problem. It's getting very hard to hear him because there's so many people. And of course, when there's lots of people, they're, rah, 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 or they're rustling their crisp packets. So there's lots of noise. And the more people crowd around him, the harder it gets to hear him. And the people at the back go, we can't hear him. What's he saying? So Jesus has a bright idea. I wonder if you know what his bright idea was. What might he do to be heard better? Carl, you were first up. Yeah. He could shout. He could shout. And he's trying to shout, but even that's not helping to carry. Yep. He could ask them to be a bit quieter. Something I'm sure your school teachers will all have done in the recent past. That's right. He could. That doesn't seem to be working either. Emily, do you have an idea? He could ask them to stop talking. And maybe some would, maybe some would just keep talking anyway. Here's what Jesus did. And I thought this was a, I'd never heard of this before, but this was a really good idea. On the beach shoreline, there were two boats, fishermen's boats. And the fishermen were out of the boats and they'd been washing their nets because they'd worked all night and they were getting ready to finish up and go home. Jesus got into one of the boats. And it was a boat that was owned by a man called Simon. Now, later on, Jesus and Simon became good friends, and Jesus gave Simon a nickname. He called him Peter, and Peter means rocky. So I think Simon would have been a big, strong man, a bit like the rock, okay, Dwayne Johnson. Maybe not quite that big. So Peter would have been a big, strong man. So he got nicknamed, sorry, Simon got nicknamed Peter, but in this story, he's called Simon, because he hasn't got that nickname yet. So he gets into Simon's boat, and he says, Simon, I'd like you to push the boat off from the shore, please. And Simon's going, oh, come on. I've just brought the boat in and we're washing the nets. But seeing as it's you, Jesus, I suppose I'll do it. Okay, so they push the boat out into the water, away from the people. And what happens is when they get out onto the nice still ocean, the sound of Jesus' voice carries across the water and it carries much, much better so everyone can hear him better. So that was a good idea, wasn't it? But when Jesus has finished teaching the people, he says to Simon, right, Simon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your boat out into the water and we'll catch some fish. And Simon goes, what? I've been working all night with my friends. We've put the nets down a dozen times. We haven't caught anything. We've just washed the nets and we're tired and we want our breakfast. We don't want to go back out on the ocean again. But Jesus says, just do it, just do it. So Simon says, seeing as you say so, Jesus, I'll do it. So they take the boat out into the deep water. Simon doesn't think there's any chance they're going to catch any fish. Because here's the thing about fish. Fish like cold water, okay? Now in the daytime, particularly in a sunny country, when the sun shines 
on the water of the sea or a lake, what do you think happens to the water? Andy? I'm amazed you know that. Well done, that's right. The water warms up and the fish swim down to get to the cooler water. So it's hopeless. It's not really a very good idea to fish during the daytime because the fish are all the way down. At night time, the water gets cooler and the fish come up to the surface. And that's why they would fish at night time. So Peter th- Peter's a fisherman. He knows this. And he thinks there's no way there's going to be any fish when the sun's high in the sky and the water's warm, they'll all be away down at the bottom. We won't catch them. But Peter says, seeing as you said so. So Peter throws the nets in. And before he knows it, guess what happens? What? What do you think happens, Emily? Um, I think fish are in the net. You think fish got in the net? Not just a few fish. Masses of fish! He'd never seen a bigger catch in his life before. It was so big, he was shouting to his friends in the show, bring, bring the other boat out, come on, bring the other boat out. And there were, the story tells us that there were so many fish caught that day that the two boats nearly capsized. They got about a week's fish in a couple of minutes. How do you think Simon Peter felt then? What do you think? They were, yeah, they made me thinking we would have needed a longer net. How do you think he was feeling inside himself? What do you think, Emily? Yeah, that's Jesus was there, so that definitely had something to do with it, didn't it? How do you think he was feeling inside himself, Andy? I think he was feeling really joyful. Really joyful. And happy. And happy too. I think he definitely was, as he probably never caught as many fish in his life. I think he was also a bit amazed because he's going, "How did this happen?" There's no way we could have caught this number of fish. So he's probably thinking, did Jesus know that there was fish there? Or did Jesus somehow even bring the fish into the net? Who is this guy? He was thinking, who can do these kind of things? And so when they got the boats to shore with this massive amount of fish, Peter and his friends James and John decided that they were going to leave their boats and leave their nets And they even left this huge catch of fish because they wanted to follow Jesus and see what he was going to do next. Because this was the most amazing thing they'd ever seen. And he can walk on water too, Carol. That's right. We'll probably come to that story later on. So, that day, Peter caught fish, didn't he? Biggest catch he'd ever had in his life. Here's a question. What did Jesus catch that day? I suppose he caught the fish too, but what, so Jesus caught something else. What did Jesus catch if people went with him? Andy? Friends. He caught friends. Really good answer, that's right. And the special name we have for friends of Jesus who follow him is the big word disciples. So this was the beginning of these men becoming disciples, becoming followers of Jesus, going with him, seeing what he was doing, joining in. Brilliant, thank you. You've listened really well to that story and thank you for your brilliant questions and observations. You were really thinking there and that's great. And you've helped the grown-ups as we come to listen to that story later on. So thank you. Now, we're going to sing a song and as we do so, the boys and girls are going to make their way across to Sunday school to keep looking and thinking about that story. And the hymn that we're going to sing is about the seashore. It's number 532. It's called, Lord, You Have Come to the Seashore. Thank you. 
So we're going to hear now the story that I was telling the children earlier on from Luke 5, Luke 5, reading 1 to 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding round him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Amen. Ali Cruikshank is going to come now and lead us in our prayers for others. Dear Lord, we pray for people still affected by the recent storms here in the United Kingdom who have had to cope with no electricity and property damage. But we also pray for the people around the world coping with adverse weather conditions. We pray for the people of southeastern Africa who have been enduring cyclones which have caused 130,000 people to become homeless and 55 to lose their lives. And we pray for the 4 million people in Madagascar who are at, at risk from the most recent cyclones. We pray for the many people around the world who are suffering from famine and for those who have no electricity in their homes 365 days a year. Dear Lord, we also pray for the people here who worry, are worried and struggling with the increased energy prices and the general cost of living. We pray for the farmers who are also having to deal with these high energy costs with much higher prices of feed against poorer prices for their produce. We pray that the government will make fair and sensible decisions to help everyone through these challenging times. Dear Father, we pray for the escalating situation in the Ukraine and pray for a peaceful resolution. As the 77th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz was set, commemorated last week, we pray for all those who endured this unimaginable cruelty and pray that humanity never forgets the suffering caused by your children towards one another. On this day, we pray for our Queen Elizabeth II as she celebrates 70 years on the throne, and we give thanks and acknowledge, acknowledge that her faith in you has made it possible for her to be such a successful monarch, serving her country and carrying out her duties faithfully. As she celebrates at Sandringham with her family, we recognize that she will be remembering her father's death on this day and the fondness he had for the Norfolk estate. 
She will also obviously be remembering her dear late husband who spent his last days on the estate. We pray that she is comforted by your presence during all these sad memories. We also now take time to pray in a moment of silence for people here and people who we know who are sick, sad, lonely, worried or bereaved. Dear Lord, most of us are kind and helpful as Jesus would want us to be, but we pray that we make a greater effort to spend more time in your presence and place our trust in you so that we can feel your love personally and allow you to make a genuine difference in our lives. Amen. Thanks, Sally. Our next hymn, I think maybe a new one to us, it's hymn uh, 506, All I Once Held Dear. Alan, would it be good to play three once before we sing? Thank you.
Let's take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your promise to be with us when we gather in your name. We believe you're here. And we ask that your spirit would minister to each one of us in the particular places of our need this morning. Bring us hope, bring us light, bring us clarity, bring us understanding. But above all, bring us yourself. Thank you that you are near. Amen. So what is the gospel? I wonder how you would answer that after 20, 30, 40 more years in the church. Growing up, I was taught that the gospel is that Jesus died for your sins on the cross and that if you accept him through faith, you can have your sins forgiven and be made right with God. And I still think that's true. But today, I see the gospel and the cross in much wider terms. Jesus' first words in Mark's gospel tell us what the gospel is, and he tells us what the gospel is before he's anywhere near the cross. Mark writes, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, which is where we get our word gospel from. The gospel is the good news. What is that good news? It's that the time has come The kingdom of God is near. Repent, which literally means change your thinking and believe the good news. What's the gospel? The gospel is the good news that God's kingdom, the rule and reign and presence of God is near. Nearer than we had ever dared believe. Jesus is telling us and showing us that God is near, not far. God is involved, not distant. God is working things out, not washing his hands of us. That's the good news that we are called to believe and to respond to. I love the words that Eugene Peterson, pastor and writer, used to whisper in his children's ears as they were growing up every night when they went to sleep. And for me, they sum up the good news. Eugene would whisper, God is good. He's on your side. He's coming after you. He's relentless. That, for me, It's the context within which all that happened on the cross makes sense. It's a relational context, not just a transactional one. The cross isn't just a piece of sin management that makes things right like settling a ledger. The cross is the ultimate expression of how relentless God is in the pursuit of his human children. How determined he is to gather them up into the fellowship with him that they were always meant to know. How set he is on bringing us close, bringing us home. That's what the cross affects. The kingdom is near. God is near. That is the good news 
the gospel, played out in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And that word near is going to be an important word for us today as we think about what happens in Luke chapter 5. But every story that we read in the Bible has a backstory, and we'll only understand what's going on within Peter in Luke 5 if we roll things back a little bit and dip into Luke 4 for a moment. In Luke 4, Jesus has just come back from his time of testing in the desert. And he's tired, but he's strong in purpose. And he travels throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, and everyone who hears him speaks highly of him. Word about him begins to spread. And he goes to Nazareth, where he was raised, and he preaches from the prophet Isaiah in the synagogue there. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Things are going swimmingly. Everybody's speaking well of him until Jesus dares to suggest that God's grace and mercy might extend to everyone and not just Israel. And the crowd don't like that one bit. They're God's people. Just them, nobody else. And so they grab Jesus and they drag him out of town, fully intending to throw him off a cliff, although he doesn't let it come to that. Nearly thrown off a cliff in his hometown. Needless to say, word spreads. If Simon Peter hadn't heard about this Jesus before, he almost certainly had after the events at Nazareth. So then Jesus comes to Capernaum, Simon Peter's own village. And once again, he teaches in the synagogue, but this time his words are backed up by a public exorcism. And the people marvel because he teaches with authority, like someone who's really living this stuff and not just speaking about it. And there's a good chance that Simon was at that meeting in the synagogue. Because the next thing we know in Luke 4, Jesus is going back to Simon's house, where his mother-in-law lies sick with a fever. And Jesus cures her. And word spreads. And as the sun is setting that evening... Folk lead or carry the sick in body and mind to Simon's home, where Jesus, one by one, lays hands on them and heals them. And the next morning they beg him to stay on, but he says, no, I have to preach the good news of the kingdom of God in the other towns too, because that's why I've been sent. That's why he's been sent. To show that God's kingdom is breaking in. It's near through what Jesus is saying and what he's doing. So that's the context that leads up to today's story, which of course is all about Simon Peter and his response. So let's stop and take a look at Peter. He's a big man. Hands like shovels. Gruff outside, but a good heart inside, practical, takes things at face value, trusts his senses, nobody's fool, keeps his religion but keeps it at arm's length maybe, does the necessary. 
And then this preacher he's heard about turns up and he loves the way he speaks. It's like he totally gets this beautiful, messy, confusing world, even as he's pointing to the God who lies within it and beyond it. And his kind of holiness, Jesus' kind of holiness, is different from that of the Pharisees. They want to keep away from the world, keep it at arm's length for fear of being tainted by it. Jesus' holiness wants to embrace the world in order to heal it, to help it become the kingdom of God. But it's not just fine words that he brings, this Jesus. He places those strong craftsmen's hands on the heads and shoulders of the sick and healing flows into them. Spills over into their lives in a way that Simon would never have believed possible. I like to think that his mother-in-law would have given him a little smile as she squeezed past him, waiting on people in this busy home. I think she's quite enjoying seeing her normally capable son-in-law flummoxed by something he can't understand. And maybe just for a moment as he lifted his hand from a child's brow or helped a cripple rise to his feet, Jesus caught Simon's eye and smiled too. Now that's Simon Peter's backstory as we head into Luke 5. And what I want you to notice is that with each step Jesus is getting closer and closer to the well-guarded center of Simon's life. First, Simon heard the rumors about Jesus. And then he saw him for himself in the local synagogue. And then he entertained him in his own home and saw the amazing things that he did in God's power. But so far, it's all been one step removed. Simon's been an observer in all of this, not really a participant. But now the rabbi is in his boat it's almost like he chose it deliberately. And he's asking him to put out from shore a little way so that his words will carry more clearly across the water when he's teaching. Fair enough, thinks Simon. But what comes next is laughable. Head out into the deep water in full sunlight when we've just washed the nets from last night's fruitless work and we're all knackered and just want to get home you might know your way around the scriptures, Jesus, and you might be able to chase away sickness and evil spirits, but you know naff all about fishing. You know nothing about the realities of my world. But he plays along. And you know the rest of the story. The nets nearly break, and the two boats almost capsize with the weight of the catch. And Luke has this lovely pregnant phrase in his telling of the story. It's often translated, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees. But the Greek says, having now seen, Simon Peter fell at Jesus' knees. Having now seen. But seen what? Seen the catch of fish? Well, yes. But I think it's deeper than that. At last, after all the arm's length, stuff after all the observing and assessing and weighing up Peter finally sees finally experiences 
The power of this man, Jesus, working in his own life, in his own world, turning everything he thought he knew about the world upside down, all the solid realities that Simon leaned into, the feel of the nets in his hands, the slap of the water on the sides of the boat, the coins that chinked together in his leather purse at the end of a good week. Suddenly he saw that good and, and real though those things were, they weren't the ultimate reality. This man and all that he stood for, all that he represented was reality. And everything else, everything, work, family, faith, leisure, had to find its place within him. That's what Simon saw that day. Out on the Sea of Galilee. In the mid-morning sun. When nobody in their right minds goes fishing. Apart from Jesus. And that's why this story ends with Simon and his friends leaving their boats and their nets and presumably this huge catch of fish that a day earlier would have seen them toasting their success into the wee small hours. Suddenly all of that didn't really matter anymore. They were well and truly caught caught by the God who had drawn near to them in Jesus and was now drawing them into this ongoing work that he had of making the kingdom come, bringing God's good news. So that's Simon's story this morning. We're going to take a moment now to reflect on how this story meets our lives. And we're going to have a time now of quiet meditative prayer. I'm going to just do a guided meditation through the next maybe five minutes or so as we listen to a little bit of music in the background, but just let this story come home into our lives. So please just take this as it's meant, which is as a prayer. You might want to, to pray or adopt a, a posture of prayer. God, we are here, listening like those folk on the Galilean shore. We're here because we're looking for life, for meaning. And there's a rumor that both of those things can be found in you. But they aren't found in the shallows from the safety of the shoreline where we can listen and walk away unchanged. God, you have drawn near to your human family in Jesus. And you call us, you challenge us to draw near to him in our hearts 
because that is when and where the change happens. You ask Simon Peter to climb into the boat with you. There were a dozen good reasons why he could have said no. Too tired, too busy, too sore, too unsure. But he took a risk. He'd seen enough in you to know that it was worth taking. Later, when the teaching was over, a new teaching began. Put out into the deep water, you said. The water Simon thought he knew and you didn't. As though God didn't already know the depths that he fathomed. Lord, our lives are deep waters. Who among us knows their depths? They're sometimes calm, sometimes stormy, always mysterious, always changing. Can you be with us in them? Will you be with us in them? In all the things no one else sees or knows, our hopes, our fears, our burdens, our loneliness, our loves. Can you be with us in all that we struggle to name or are loath to name? Because to speak it would be to reveal too much of who and how we genuinely are. Can you be with us in all those real places where surface religion or pop psychology don't even begin to make a difference? Where what's needed more than anything is the sustaining companionship of the Spirit of Jesus drawing near to us, encouraging, strengthening, guiding, refining, teaching. Can you be with us in all those places, Lord? Can we be with you? Maybe that's the question. Because this morning you are already sitting in the boat. Our boat. My boat. Waiting for us to come and join you to put out into the deep waters and be amazed by what you can do in all the places of our lives we think you don't know if we will only take you at your word. Loving God, you are good. You are on our side. You are coming after us. You are relentless. And we thank you for that good news this morning.
close our worship now in our final hymn, number 533, Will You Come and Follow Me? Now go in peace to love and to serve the Lord. And the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore.